Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. Psalm 110, we introduced this psalm last Wednesday night, really introduced it by going through uh, just the end time um, timetable, what's going to transpire as we continue to go forward in the prophetic timetable. And of course, the next prophetic event to happen is the rapture, the, the calling up of uh, the, all the saved in the air when the Lord returns. The trumpet's going to sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up. Now, the word rapture is not found in the Bible, but the word rapture means caught up. And so Thessalonians tells us, we'll be caught up to be with him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then Paul says there in verse 18, he says, Wherefore, because of this truth that Christ is going to return for those who have died or in the grave and those who are alive at the time, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And I think one of the greatest comforts, not, I, I not think, I know one of the greatest comforts we have today in this chaotic world is knowing for sure, absolutely, that you're saved and then knowing that Christ is going to return. It, and it really is just a matter of time. It's going to happen. And he could return today, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And so I'm looking forward to that day. I know you are. That's our blessed hope. This psalm, Psalm 110, uh, is quoted in seven times in the New Testament. It's the most quoted psalm uh, in, in, in the New Testament. So again, the psalm is the most quoted of any psalm uh, in the, in the uh, New Testament. Let's pray. Um, let's, let's read the psalm first. Um, but it's, been on, it's been a good day, though I've done a lot today and I've enjoyed it, honestly. I enjoy teaching at Norris and teaching out there for uh, two and a half hours. And I'm not complaining, really. Honestly, I've had a great day and just uh, had, uh, had preached in chapel this morning for our Heritage Christian Academy and then had the opportunity to do premarital counseling uh, here just about an hour ago, hour and a half ago. And uh, what a privilege it is to be in the ministry. And I, I enjoy it very, very much. And then for some reason, I was on the, on the single list tonight. I, was just, I just sung like a week ago. Uh, but I enjoy that as well. I'm thankful that God uh, has allowed me a uh, voice to sing. And it's been a while since we sang that one. And so enjoy that, the lighthouse. Let's read it and then we'll pray. The Lord, is, uh, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power and the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy mouth, of thy youth. Verse 4. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. And he shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way, therefore shall he lift up the head. Now let's pray. Lord, we need you tonight, and I pray that you'd help my thoughts. Lord, collect them and help me to stay on this track tonight. 
such a great, a great psalm. And Lord, I don't want to mess it up. I pray tonight that you would help me and uh, strengthen me. I pray that you'd be with the listeners tonight, help them to be attentive. It's been a long day for many of them as well and worked long today. I pray, God, that you would just uh, bless them tonight for coming out and being a part of this uh, church service tonight and gathering on the word. Lord, again, help us to see your son lifted up high and the Messiah to come. Uh, And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, the psalm is quoted seven times in the New Testament. In the first two verses, we have Messiah as king. In the, the verses 3 through 4, we see the warrior priest, or we see the Messiah as priest. And then we see the Messiah as the judge, the judge in verses 5 through 7. The, psalm, the psalms, all the psalms, were written by poet prophets. And I want to show you this tonight as a cross-reference, just to show you. Uh, so the prophets, the psalm writers, were many of them were prophets. And uh, I said to you a few weeks ago, I said, David was a prophet. And I I saw on the look on some of y'all's faces, it's like, I thought David was a king. But turn with me to Acts chapter 2, and I'll show you that it makes it very clear that David, King David, was also a prophet. And uh, many of his psalms, a lot of his psalms, are prophecies concerning the Messiah. And we see this in Psalm 22 and many other psalms uh, that David had a part in that God used David as a prophet. Look with me in verse uh, 30. This is uh, the day of Pentecost, and here is Peter, uh, 50 days after the resurrection, standing up, and he's preaching on the day of Pentecost, this feast of weeks. And he's preaching to thousands of people, as I said just a few Sunday mornings ago. He's preaching to thousands of people. And a great great crowd gets saved. I mean, a large crowd gets saved. But basically his message is this. um, You killed the Messiah. You murdered the Messiah. And here, here he goes, and he talks about David and many of the other things. But notice in verse 30, we're going to come back to chapter 2, so you might want to put a little something there because we're going to come back to this particular chapter. Look at verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet, let's back up. Verse 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. And we're going to turn to Psalm 132 in just a moment. But I just wanted you to see that it referred to David, uh, King David, as a prophet. He was indeed a prophet. Again, the only prophet, priest, and king is Jesus Christ. And anyone, else, anyone in the Old Testament who tried to fulfill all three offices, uh, bad stuff happened. Saul tried it, and God removed the kingdom from him. And another king tried it, and he got leprosy. I mean, so, uh, so again, David fulfilled the offices of a prophet and a king. And he was a great prophet. So we see the king and the prophet. Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm. It's about the person, life, and work of Jesus Christ. Most of the messianic psalms usually have a, a, um, a, a primary uh, fulfillment and then a secondary fulfillment. In other words, the primary fulfillment means it was fulfilled during the time of the writing or close to the time of the writing and then being fulfilled in Jesus Christ down the road uh, when he returns or when he came to Calvary, right? So the prophets look down through time as they are prophesying, they only see, they see the first coming of Jesus there on the cross when he was born in Bethlehem. They see that and then there's a big a big dip, big valley, and then the prophets see the second coming of Christ when he returns at the battle of Armageddon. They don't see the valley between. The prophets in the Old Testament do not see the valley between. They don't see the age of the church when they're prophesying. 
right? They see the resurrection, and they see everything about Mount Calvary, and then they see the return of Christ in the, in the second coming, when he comes not in the rapture now, not the catching away of the church and the, and the saved, but uh, when he returns to the battle of Armageddon. So kind of keep that in mind as we're looking at this. And so when we talk about the prophecy concerning the, the work and works of Jesus Christ, he's prophesying concerning them. So the Messianic Psalms will have a primary fulfillment. Usually it's another king that, that they're prophesying about and then prophesying about the Messiah. And my point to this is this particular psalm has no primary fulfillment. It has no first fulfillment and then second fulfillment. This Messianic psalm only deals with Jesus Christ, the Messiah to come. Because these, this does not fit and cannot fit uh, another living, if you would, another king, earthly king who reigned. This is absolutely talking about the Messiah and David the prophet is singing. He is writing a poem as, as he talks about and as he prophesies concerning the future Messiah. All right, so what, what a psalm it is. Um, more prophecy concerning the sonship and the reign of the eternal Son of God and the Son of Man. And we're going to cover that in a moment. I know we're going to do some, it's going to seem like some, gentle, uh, some mental gymnastics tonight. And it's going to be more like a Bible study in some ways. But I hope tonight you understand. We've been preaching on Sunday morning about the apostate and the apostate and the, the, the end times and how we need to be careful as Christians to know what we believe and why, that we might not be tossed to and fro. And the greatest, the greatest doctrine, the greatest teaching that we must, we must learn about in the end times in order to counteract, counteract the apostate is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. The teachings of Jesus Christ. The theme of the Bible, by the way, is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And so we need, to, we need to be settled in our belief and understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And so I want you to just kind of keep that in mind as we go through this. And you'll say to yourself, well, man, I, I came here to get my, you know, my gas tank full for, for Sunday. And this is more like a Sunday school lesson. So, but I hope that you'll stay with me and I hope you'll learn something tonight. All right? So we see in verse 1, we see the Messiah. We see the Messiah. The son of David. Look there, verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord. This is a doozy now, I'm telling you. This is an amazing verse. The Lord said unto my Lord. I want to kind of back up and, and just f first off say to you, this is speaking about David, talking about his son, the son of David, the son of David, of the lineage of David. I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. So we're going to come, kind of go backwards and then build up to this. So David was promised by God in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He was given a promise. So Nathan the prophet comes to David. In fact, God tells Nathan the prophet, go to David and tell him this. And look with me in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. It says, And when the days be fulfilled, and this is Nathan talking to David, Nathan the prophet, who's giving him a message from God. Remember, the prophet spoke for God to man. So the prophet's speaking for God to David, and he says in verse 12, And when the days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, notice it says he's already dead here, thou shalt, after, you, after you die, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall be, pro proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name. Talking about Solomon, right? And I will establish the throne of his kingdom. What does it say? 
forever. Did he establish Solomon's kingdom forever? Be careful. No, he didn't. Solomon died. But here it's more than talking about Solomon. It's more than just Solomon. He's looking to the future and saying, I'm going to establish your kingdom, uh, your seed forever. Look at verse 14. And I will be his father, talking about Solomon, and he shall be my son. If he, if he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom put away before thee, whom I put away before thee. Verse 16. And thine house, listen closely now, and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established, what? Forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established, what? Forever. Thy throne shall be established forever. In other words, this is going beyond Solomon, who would be the next king to reign. Remember, Saul was the first king of Israel. Then you had David, the second king of Israel. And then David's son Solomon reigned for 40 years. And this is saying, hey, I'm going to be with Solomon. I'm not going to leave him and put him away as I did Saul. I'll be with him. Now, if he, acts, if he, doesn't, you know, if he doesn't follow my law, I'm going to send people to chasten him. But I will not leave him. And I'm going to establish your throne forever. I'm going to establish your king, your kingdom forever. So this is called the Davidic covenant. God makes a covenant with David to establish his throne forever. Now turn to Psalm 132. Psalm 132. And look with me in verse 11. Psalm 132, verse 11. And the Lord has sworn in truth unto David. He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body, and this is Lord God speaking here, of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. God, David's kingdom is going to be established what? Forever. Who's going to set upon his throne? The Lord. Forever and ever and ever. The son of David will sit upon the throne forever. The son of man, I know, I'm going to back up and give you some of this. The son of man and the son of God sitting on the throne forever. Establishing his kingdom forever. All right. Turn to Acts 20, uh, back to Acts chapter 2. And you need to kind of keep a, I think, what does Brother McCracken call it? A thingamabobby? You know, if you want to put one of them little doohickeys in there to keep your place. Um, Acts chapter 2 again, the sermon there that Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. And uh, look with me again at verse 30. We just read it. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, we just read the oath, we just read the covenant, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. So that's the interpretation of Psalm 132, verse 11. We just read it. Let me go back and read it. I'll read it slowly. So Psalm 132 and verse 11. The New Testament tells us what this is meaning. The Lord has sworn in truth unto David. He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of the, thy body will I, t- I set upon thy throne. Well, I set upon the throne. The Lord's going to set upon the throne. Now let me read verse 30 one more time. It needs to sink down in there. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath, the Davidic covenant, I'm going to establish your kingdom forever, to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. You think David understood that? 
I believe he did. And we, we can see that he understood, at least in partiality, because of Psalm 110. Because of what Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord. The Lord said unto my Lord. The religious leaders of the days of Christ understood and acknowledged that Psalm 110 was speaking of the Messiah. And that the Messiah would be of the house of David. So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes of Jesus' day acknowledged that the Messiah, the future Messiah, would be uh, of the house and lineage of David. That, that he would be a son of David. Everybody with me? According to the flesh, that the Messiah would come from the Davidic line. The religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, acknowledged that. Acknowledged that. So, what's going on here in this verse? In verses, again, Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord. Who is it? What is it? Well, it's God in the flesh. The Lord, that's speaking, it's capitalized, all capitalized. It's speaking of Jehovah. Jehovah, the self-existent one. When your King James Bible capitalizes Lord, it's talking about Jehovah God. It says unto my Lord... And that's lowercase, right? Capital L, lowercase, is speaking of Adonai. And in this case, it is my, it has an I in front of it in the, uh, in the Hebrew. It means my Lord, my Lord, singular, my Lord. So the Lord said unto my Lord. What it's saying is it's basically a conversation between God and the Messiah, between God and, the, and, the, and Jesus Christ. The Lord said, Jehovah God said unto his son, and this is what he said. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So David was king at this time. When he's writing Psalm 110, David is king. David would not call his son Lord. So if you're a king, you're not going to call Solomon Lord. It's not going to happen. Right? I'm not going to call one of my sons master. They should. No, I'm just kidding. Right? I mean, we're not going to go backwards in this. Nobody's going to do that. So it's not talking about Solomon calling him Lord. No, he says, my Lord, my, my Messiah. Psalm 110, verses 2 through 7, in the context here, the Jewish leaders, again, saw David was speaking of Messiah, who was to be David's son a descendant in the future. And that's important. It really is because I'm going to read you a verse. We're going to turn over to, in fact, go ahead and do that. Turn to Matthew chapter 22 and you're going to see Jesus quote this verse and he's quoting it to the religious leaders. He's quoting it to the Pharisees and those who had gathered there. Matthew chapter 22. And we know this whole chapter is the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, you can cross-reference this to Mark, you can cross-reference this to Luke, and you'll see somewhat the same questions being asked and just different perspective of each one of the gospel writers, of three of the gospel writers. So this, this account is found in all three of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And so in this, Jesus is answering a lot of the religious leaders' questions. Which is the greatest commandment in the Old Testament? And Jesus said, well, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great, and, and great commandment. The second is likened to it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He's answering their questions. 
And it comes down, look at with me in verse 37. Jesus said to them, Thou shalt love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart. I just quoted that. He answers that question for them. They ask him, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the, in the law? Verse 36. Look at verse 41. So while these Pharisees, and, and if you get the context here, it's also the Sadducees are there and the, and the scribes, because Mark tells you the scribes were there. So the religious leaders were there. And so now he turns around and asks them a question. I love how Jesus does that. He does that a lot. He'll turn it, the tables on them and ask them a question. And here's what he asks them. He says, while the, verse 41, Matthew chapter 22. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying... What think ye of Christ? By the way, that's a great question. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. So they automatically respond that he is going to be of the son of David, of the house and lineage of David. He's going to be a, a descendant of, of David. Because again, they, they understood that from prophetical statements in the Old Testament. Not just Psalm 110, but many others that we've already covered. Psalm 2 and, and many others where it was made it very clear that he was going to be uh, the house and lineage of David. So he's of David. He's, he's the house of David. Just automatically respond. Now look, look at Jesus' response to that. He saith unto them, Jesus saith unto them, verse 30, 43, How then doth David... In the Spirit, in other words, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him the Messiah Lord, how is he his son? I love verse 46. And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth Ask him any more questions. They were done. This was one week before he was to be tried and, and go to Mount Calvary. And it looks like he got a week of peace and quiet, at least from the religious leaders, uh, before he went to, the, to Mount Calvary, before he was tried. Because they didn't want to answer any more of his questions. He, notice again, it says... It says in them, how then doth David in the spirit call the Messiah Lord? Why would David call his son Lord? How, why would David call his descendant Lord? He's King David. And, and this is one of my descendants. I wouldn't go, someday, Lord willing, I have grandkids. I wouldn't go around and call my grandkid a Lord. They're, they're, I'm higher up than they are, right? <laughs> no, that's, you know. Why? Why would he call him Lord? By the way, Jesus did this to confound them, and certainly that happened. And certainly shut them up, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't ask any more questions. So, my Lord is David, again, talking about his descendant, the Messiah. He is his Lord. The Messiah is his Lord, but he's also his son. Because Jesus Christ was the Son of Man. He was born of a virgin. He was a man. He was a human. He became flesh. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? Great is the mystery of Godness. God was manifest in the flesh. He became a man. God with skin on. And that's what David's referring to here. His Lord, and by the way, David was dead, right? 
So notice we already read that the promise that was given to David by Nathan the prophet for God said that after you die, your seed, your kingdom will be established forever. So it emphasizes or implies that one day David will call the Messiah Lord. Can I tell you tonight, David, King David's not dead. He's not dead. In fact, he said uh, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and the baby was born and, was, and it died, he said of that baby, I will, see, I will see that baby again. David understood there was a resurrection. And one day David will call him Lord, just as every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is his Lord. Turn to Acts chapter 2 again. I told you to keep your little finger bobber in there, a little, little flag thingy. What do you call that? I don't know what you call it. A little ribbon, I guess. Um, Acts chapter 2, look with me in verse... Let's, let's back up again and read for review's sake. Let's, review, um, let's, let's look at verse 27. It says, Because thou wilt leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. That's Psalm 16, verse 10, talking about... The Messiah, David again, talking about the Messiah. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul would not, would not be left in hell, and neither his flesh did see corruption. Again, Psalm 16, verse 10. This, continue now, verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, what's happening on the day of Pentecost, what they're, what they're, under, what they're seeing, uh, every man hearing that, hearing in their own language. Everybody, uh, again, hearing in their own language. As, as Peter's speaking, there are all sorts of different languages represented, and everyone is hearing without any earbuds, without any you know, special effects. They're all hearing in their own language. They, they are witness of this outpouring of the Holy Ghost, which you now see and hear. Verse 34... Hang with me now. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Sound familiar? Because we just read it, Psalm 110. Notice what it says in verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, listen to this, both what? God... And Messiah. Both God and Messiah. They would have understood that. You say, well, that's, you know, Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D. Depending on the context, Jehovah God, capital, all capitals, can refer to all three persons of the Godhead. And you can read throughout your Bible, you'll notice it's interchangeable. All three persons of the Godhead can be used as Jehovah. All three persons of the Godhead can be used as Adonai as well. So depending on the context, and the context here, if you were in that, in that congregation, in that big crowd that was gathered on the day of Pentecost, 
And when, when David is quoted, Psalm 110 is quoted, they would automatically knew what that, what that was saying, that that was talking about the Messiah. And he is saying to them that that Messiah is both the Messiah and God. You crucified God. You crucified God in the flesh. It shut the mouth of the religious leaders. They walked away. Didn't want to ask him. In fact, they didn't ask him no more questions until the trial, right? No doubt many in the day of Pentecost were convicted because 3,000 people got saved. Again, Psalm 110 implies that David's son would be God in the flesh. So, so many times we as New Testament Christians, we are, right? Old Testament's very important. It says it's there for our learning, for, for our example. And the Old Testament is foundational to the New Testament. Old Testament, New Testament writers wrote in light of that you already know your Old Testament. But many times when we talk about the Trinity or we're talking about God in the flesh, especially the incarnation of Christ, we run to the usual verses. John 1, 1. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That, he, that the Word was God. One and the same. One and the same. Talking about one, John chapter 1, verse 14. That God was, again, manifest in the flesh. The brightness of His glory, the express image of His person. You think about Hebrews and, again, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 2 Chronicles. All the, all the familiar verses you've heard from me a thousand times. But I want you to know there's more than just like seven or eight verses that tell us and show us and prove to us that God was manifest in the flesh. And here is a prophetical scripture that helps us to understand that even David understood the concept, at least in some way, that his son one day would be the Messiah and that that son would be no ordinary person <laughs> and that Christ, the Messiah, would sit on his throne forever. Right? Psalm 132 makes it clear that David got that. It was going to be an everlasting covenant. Everlasting covenant. It is the Messiah who is to sit on the throne of God. It's the Messiah who is there uh, setting on the throne of God, my Lord and my God. David's son will sit on God's throne. Only God can sit on that throne. And so we have the Trinity again in mind. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, as you think about the throne room of God. A member of the human race is sitting on the throne tonight. Understand that. You believe that? The religious leaders acknowledged the Messiah to be the son of David, but David acknowledged him also to be the son of God. I, the Messiah, Psalm 132, I, the Messiah. We have the Messiah, the son of man and the son of God. And then we see in verse, we'll, we'll just barely touch on this one tonight, but look at verse 2. By the way, the ending of verse 1, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Speaking there of the battle of Armageddon, when, when all is defeated, all the armies of, of the Lord are defeated. And I love the, the word play or the word picture there in that his enemies will be his footstool. Anybody ever, ever, ever use a footstool? I mean, now we have lazy boys. They don't really have footstools. But, you know, used to you'd have a, 
a, a chair and then you'd bring in a footstool to put your feet up on, right? I love how he just compares his enemies to a footstool. It's just nothing, you know. We serve an all-powerful God, don't we? And he will rule, it says there. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Zion, again, being Jerusalem. He'll send the rod out of, of Zion. God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will rule and reign from Messiah with the rod, the scepter. Psalms 2 calls it the rod of iron. And we don't have time tonight, but Revelation 19 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 all speak about the Messiah ruling and reigning. That he, will, he not only will he rule and reign in might, but he'll rule and reign in majesty and in righteousness. I'm thankful that one day we will have a king who will be a king of righteousness and that his reign will be perfect. Now, he'll rule with a rod, and that rod speaks of protection. It speaks of comfort. It speaks in a way to, to prod and to point and to help and to do just like the shepherd would uh, use the rod in dealing with his sheep. But I also think about the rod of Moses and the power and power parting the Red Sea, getting honey and water and oil out of a rock, the rod, he'll reign and rule forever. The king of righteousness is referred to. He will be a fair king, a just king, uh, one who's no respecter of persons, one who is selfless and forgiving. What a king he'll be. Wouldn't it be nice? (laughs) Yes, to have a king, to have a leader, who only looks out for others and not himself, who only is so selfless in his nature, what a day that'll be. What think you of Christ tonight? I love Jesus, again, turning the question around on them, saying, what do you you think of Christ? As we said Sunday morning, it's important that when somebody knocks on your door, the Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses, they don't believe the same way we believe about Christ. They don't believe in the biblical... uh, Trinity, they don't believe in the biblical Jesus Christ. What do you think of Christ is very important. It determines so much about you. It determines determines so much about your daily life. It certainly determines your eternal destiny. What do you think of Jesus? What do you think of Jesus? He's the son of man, but he's also the son of God. He's the son of David. He's the son of God. He is God in the flesh. Two natures, human and divine, one personality. He wasn't a schizophrenic. Two, two natures, one personality. God in the flesh. God in the flesh. We call this, we call this the incarnation, right? That God became flesh. I thought it was pretty neat as I studied and as I was uh, listening to uh, a particular professor and uh, the word, why do they use the word incarnation? Well, carnations used to be flesh-colored. The natural color of a carnation is a flesh color. Now, with, you know, with, you know how they do, they do now you've got every color in the world, carnation, every color in the world, but originally they were, they were flesh-colored. And that's what it's referring to. God in the flesh. God with skin on. God with skin on. He was sinless. He took all God's wrath for us. He took our place on the cross as God and as man. As man, he took our place as our representative, as our substitute on the cross. But he's a future king, the Lord of lords. Isaiah says the government shall be on his shoulders. And of his government there will what? Be no end. 
He will rule and reign forever and ever. A just king, a fair king, a forgiving king, a loving king. What a day that'll be. So how does this apply to me? Again, the application is not only looking forward to his, his kingship, but also knowing what you believe and why. Because in these last days, the main doctrine you should have down in your own heart is the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the teaching of who Jesus Christ is. As we go forward, it, that is the doctrine that, that concerns us the most, that we should be concerned about the most. It's, it's the doctrine that causes problems the most. That the world doesn't want to hear the name Jesus. <laughs> uh, they don't want to hear the name of Jesus. They don't want us to pray in the name of Jesus. So it's a, it's a doctrine we should have settled in our own minds. Was Jesus Christ a mere man? No. Was he just a great teacher? No. He was a son of God. God in the flesh. Can you imagine that? The God who made the sun, the moon, and the stars became flesh. Hey, listen, there were people walking around that bumped into God and didn't know it. They bumped into God. He wasn't an aberration. He wasn't, he wasn't a ghost. He was God in the flesh. He had a body just like ours. It bumped into God and didn't even know it. By the way, what a great humbling God did for us. Left the, the, the portals and the glory of heaven, left the riches of glory, and became poor for you and for me that we might have our sins forgiven we might have eternal life. What a God we have. Let's all stand. In 155, have thine own way, Lord. Supreme. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.